all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. We want to welcome back to Jennifer Ruth. Uh, start over again. We want to welcome back to Veterans Radio, Jennifer Ruth Green. Uh, she went to the United States Air Force Academy, continues to serve. Uh, we've ha- talked to her about how she got uh, where she's at, and we're going to switch to a different subject at the moment. Uh, uh, Jen decided uh, back in 2022 that she would uh, run for Congress, and that's a whole nother world separate from <laughs> from the military that she'd been serving in and probably learned a lot of lessons in uh jennifer ruth green welcome yes. back to veterans radio to talk about this transition into politics yes thank you so much for having me back i enjoyed the first time so much that wanted to come back again and, and connect so thank you very much well tell us a little bit about I think everybody who decides to run for elective office probably has the same goal of, I want to serve and I think I can make a difference. But when you are when you come from a military uh, standpoint where you're required to be apolitical um, and, and now have to transition into this whole new world, what, what did you find shocking about uh, getting into the running for elective office? You know, what was probably the most shocking to me uh, was that I thought that people that were serving in the legislative branch, I, I ran for Congress, I thought that they were untouchable and unreachable and almost on this pedestal. They serve at the federal level. They serve at the Capitol. They're in Congress. And in reality, they are just regular people. And they have the same fears, the same insecurities, uh, they're still working on some of the same skill sets, and they each are good at different things. Some are good at re- fundraising. Some are good at giving speeches. Some are good at giving radio interviews. Some are good at giving TV interviews. Some are good at uh, <laughs> running their mouth <laughs> and just getting attention. <laughs> right, uh, right. So 
I was surprised at how normal people were. I think I expected them to be untouchable and almost have an aura or, you know, uh, have music like, oh, behind. And it's it's really not that. It's just normal people who work hard and have a different job than I do. Uh, and so I was surprised at how relatable everybody was. But um, it was just, it was an amazing journey uh, that that really was kind of unique to go into. And the military had really helped prepare me uh, to be a part of it. So you have to put this team together to to run for elective office, and that team has to involve you know foot soldiers who are going to knock the doors and fundraisers and speechwriters. Uh, as you got into this and started saying, well, I got to I got to assemble a team. Uh, give, give us what was kind of going through your mind about how this was going to come together. No, absolutely. Well, I think it's important for me to share a little bit about my vision in obviously in a nonpartisan way, but I was watching the State of the Union address in February of 2020. And at the time, the president was President Trump, and then the Speaker of the House was Nancy Pelosi, the Vice President was Vice President Mike Pence. And they uh, were in the House, uh, on the House floor, and the President was giving uh, his State of the Union. And at the end of the State of the Union, Speaker Pelosi tore up the president's address. Famously, and t- famously no- stood up in her white dress and ripped up the speech. Yes. <laughs> yes, she did. And she got a lot of applause for it. And the next day she got headlines for it. And people were congratulating her. Um, and it was no secret that the president and she didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And so at that moment, though, I remember watching and thinking – we're on a federal stage and we're on an international stage as well. And the number one leader in our country, arguably in the free world and the number three leader in our country are openly, uh, passive, aggressively, passively, aggressively, you know, contending with one another. And I thought, wow, if our enemies see that when they see that, because they're undoubtedly watching, we look divided. We look weak. We look unstable. And I said, it's easy for these people when we're experiencing instability and somebody decides to attack as a result of that weakness and perceived weakness, it's easy for these people because they have secret service or they go in a bunker somewhere or they get the chance to be in a place where they don't have to experience the realities of our enemies um, you know, wanting to attack. But it's my responsibility as a uniform wearer to step up and put my life on the line And so the risk of the lack of concern or seeming lack of concern was very grave to me. And I thought with immediacy, military members deserve better than people who don't care or don't appear to care about our lives and our future and desire to keep us safe, even if you have to fake it. And so that was what caused me to go into Congress, to run for Congress, because the legislative branch declares war and... I said, if people understood the human cost of war, they would conduct themselves differently. And we need people who understand it. And fewer than 19% of Congress members have served in the military. And that number was on a steady decline. Uh, It was higher after the Vietnam War and so, and World War II as well. And seeing those numbers decline was something that I wanted to adjust as well. So that's why I decided to run. And so as I continued... Yeah, as it as it uh, really becomes one of those decisions that you say I'm going to make you you the the announcement of that to friends and family and and acquaintances 
what type of reaction did you get, and how do you, how do you marshal the experiences you have to press forward in this new arena? Yes, favorable uh, favorable uh, responses from my family and friends, but people who are. Uh, politically minded and who had worked through the wickets from dog catcher to mayor to, you know, just had prepared themselves to working as a page at the state house or something like that. They said, Hey, you're going from zero to hero. You're going from, I have zero experience in politics to running to be one of the, in one of the top spots in the, in the country. And so there was a little bit of hesitancy. Are you qualified? Where are you from? Where did you come from? What experience do you bring to the table? What do you know about legislation? And so there were a lot of questions, and it took a lot of time to prove myself. But what was incredibly important and impactful, and the reason why I think that story needed to be told, was because that was the vision. The vision was to create a Congress who could make sure to take better care of our military members and make sure that we highlighted the reality that military members deserve better than what we saw that night. And so the vision in and of itself was something that had to be so clear to me that every time I explained it to others, they would get it as well. They would get it, they would buy in, they would be moved to action, whether that was to vote, whether that was to give funds, whether that was to knock doors with me, whatever it may have been to tell their friends, they had to get it. And so we built a team, a close team of 10. And so we had different people, like you mentioned, I have a scheduler and a, and a fundraiser and a, a finance coordinator and a consultant and a, a campaign manager, communications director. And, you know, so we we're looking through these particular positions and these are the people that are going to represent me on the outside. They're the ones who are going to take out the vision. They're the ones who are going to lead a team of five knocking on doors you know, uh, in a particular area one weekend while I'm knocking on another set of doors. And so these people working have to understand what I want to do because they have to be my surrogates. And if they are there for a paycheck, they are not going to, to perform as well. And so the military was incredible as far as helping me to define a mission and a vision and then present it to people to the point where they would buy in so much so that they would give their time, talent, and treasure to be a part of propagating what we needed to do in our nation's capital. And so if I didn't get it and couldn't explain it with passion and with fervor, they wouldn't get it either. And we wouldn't be able to convince people around the first district about it as well. So we definitely had those internal pieces that the military definitely helped me with. But then there's the entire external piece where you're relating with the public and trying to get 700,000 people to be on your side. So well, those those who yeah sure. those those who've listened to the first uh, interview I did with uh, Jennifer Ruth Green know what kind of uh, determination she brings to every uh, obstacle she's faced in life. But as you're running for Congress, the People's House, uh, as an African American woman who's not coming from big money, you you, you know you didn't you didn't step out of uh, oh I was a I was a hedge fund manager and I'm going to go do this. You, <laughs> you were uh, you were right. getting paid like uh, every other officer in the service. This is a big financial challenge. Didn't it seem daunting? You know I. <laughs> this is what's funny. I actually started and had no idea 
of the specifics of what it would take. I knew that I felt the call from the Lord. I knew that our military members deserved better. And I just said, I'm going. So there were three of my friends, two of my friends and I, we were in my friend's basement. And I said, I believe I'm called to public office and running for Congress. One of my friends said, hey, I've, you know, it was almost like I've used the calculator before, so I'll be your treasurer. Another guy said, I have ex- some experience on campaigns, and, and I'm good with communications and media, so I'll be your comms director. And so we had an amazing opportunity to just have people who valued the vision, who all grew together. So I had zero political experience, zero political or zero opportunities to, you know, been on national TV or to fundraise or to know what worked. I just was committed to learning. And so with our team, uh, we were all relatively inexperienced and none of us had experience at the federal level. One of my friends had experience as, you know, helping a mayoral campaign. And so that limited experience actually could have been seen as um, great naivete and, you know, very much of an underdog situation. But when we got the right people to help lead and guide, combined with the vision and the work ethic, I mean, it was just amazing to be a part of. And so you're absolutely right. We were able to raise about $3.2 million across the cycle, uh, which is very... um, A whole lot of money. It's a a very large number. It's a whole lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, 2.7 of that came in six months. So we would spend hours uh, trying to figure out ways to be more effective because the Chicago media market is where I live. And a 30-second ad at the time uh, is about six to $700,000 per 30 seconds. And wow. so you want people to know you and know your story. And so we have about five opportunities to be able to tell who I am. And so it's, it's you know, you have to master the ground game. You have to master the airwaves. You have to master radio. You have to master mail, TV, uh, all of these elements to try to make sure you can get the message out. Uh, but all of that takes, you know, funding. So any campaign we do takes manpower, media, money, and materials. And uh, we definitely had manpower who was bought in. We had media that was quite expensive but took a lot of money. And so we were pairing those up. And then as far as materials go, uh, we had incredibly talented people helping to design our work and make sure our message got out. But it was definitely a venture um, and without the military training of understanding how to work with people, understanding how to give a vision, understanding how to manage personalities, understanding how to uh, even just say, hey, this is the direction we're going, this is the direction we're staying, um, and this is our focal point, uh, those kind of things were very impactful. Well, it's, it's, sure. a, it's a little bit about, uh, and we're talking to Jennifer Ruth Green, who ran for Congress, um, Got the Republican nomination, but did not uh, was not successful in the general. But it but it's a little bit like uh, you got to be fully committed when you're landing this plane. I'm jumping into this. <laughs> we're doing this, and I'm you know I've got to be Absolutely. committed. And and it you know I can hear you explaining how you put the pieces together. It really was kind of mission focused that you got out of the military. It sounds like hey, here's the mission. Here's how we're going to break it down. But it's not the military. And I suspect that you learned more about negative press and fake news and, and, and cyber, you know, social media um, trolls, all, all sorts of those <laughs> sorts of things that you did. You know, how, how did you navigate your way through that? 
You know, you're ab- you're absolutely right. It's it's not the military, and you 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 can't control what people say or do. Uh, and so it is uh, it is open season for people to have commentary on what you say, what you don't say, what you wear, the way your hair looks, uh, everything about everything to do with you. Uh, it's like living in a giant fishbowl. And, um, you know, as you know, my military records were leaked and, and the opposing um, political party was instrumental in leaking my records, my military records. Uh, to the press and that particular incident was very devastating it was a very personal attack and those are the things that I think having again the tightness of your team um, be around you and to have people to help you who want to make sure that you're doing well or to check in on you um, those things are essential and so in in choosing the team it was very important to choose people that valued me as a person and didn't value just the the reality of winning or the prospect of getting a job in the future or the opportunity later on to advance somehow and put something on their resume. It was important that we were a group of people who trusted one another because if we were merely motivated by the mission, we wouldn't have been a team. And so the fact that we trusted one another allowed me to, you know, I knew that the press was coming out about um, my records leak and and when before it came out, um, and, the, and and we talked a little bit about it, but um, in my records leak, I am a survivor of sexual assault, and in short, making that public was not my choice, not my option. It was done by my opponent, and so during that time, though, I had you know immediately prior to the release, I knew it was coming out. It was not a public event. I hadn't talked to anybody about that portion of my life. Uh, but I had called each of my teammates, the tight 10 individually and just said, Hey, this is coming out. This is, you know, this is something that, that is going to impact the campaign. I want to talk to you about it, but I also want to let you know that this is how I feel, but we will get through this. We will honor God with this. And this is how it's going to happen. So I had those 10 conversations with my teammates. And that again is a function of understanding the team. And the military, you know, you don't want your teammates, if you're established, you've established trust, you don't want them to find out information that they should, from other people that they should find out from you. And so I wanted to be the first to talk through it. I wanted to coach through it. I wanted to make sure that we were okay, that trust was still intact, because we still had 40 days of a campaign to go when this records leak occurred. And so although it was quite a personal attack and unconventional and Definitely, I would say first of its kind, at least for this region, um, we were able to continue to progress and move forward because of the skills that the military taught me as far as establishing trust, building trust, maintaining teams and working together. Because it would have been very easy to just say, I'm hurt, I'm struggling, I'm by myself, I need to be by myself. But we handled it as a team. And that was an encouragement to me. It is uh, the classic dirty politics that keeps so many people, good people, from running for Congress because if you have anything in your background, uh, there, there's this opposition research that's going to find it and shine a light on it. And even if it's just embarrassing, it's going to suck the energy and wind out of your campaign. And in your instance, you're a victim of sexual assault uh, that you suffered while you were in Iraq on duty. And it's 
you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing you did, nothing to be ashamed of, but it's, it, it is dirty politics to try to suck the wind out of your campaign and p- make you spend time and effort on that issue. And it just had to be, and, 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 and we should say, it, um, the, the Air Force released at least three personnel files improperly during that midterm election of three different Republican candidates who, run, who are running for the House. And the, the uh, Department of Defense and the Air Force and the Secretary of Defense uh, uh, have apologized for that. But, you know, that's... The dam is broken. The apology afterwards doesn't doesn't uh, put put the water back. So, did did you see it sure. as dirty politics as I'm describing it, or or did you feel it was somehow within bounds? Well, I, I think it's important to note that uh, there was the opposition research firm by my opponents uh, were hired and paid nearly three hundred thousand dollars to find out information and they put a Trojan horse and illegally fraudulently impersonated me and nearly a dozen uh, Republicans. And it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not even, it's beyond dirty politics. It's just, it's, it's poor form and, and it, it lacks integrity. And that's the strongest term that I could put for it. And so they put this Trojan horse in and intimated that they had our permission, um, which they did not. They did not have my permission. And then the Air Force uh, gave in to their request and provided my full records, along with nearly a dozen others. And so I I didn't see it as dirty politics, because dirty politics to me is making up a lie, or maybe they take a picture of you in an unsavory setting, or you have food on your mouth, or (laughs) whatever it is, or they make fun of your weight, or something like that. That to me is dirty. Um, You know, short version, the way I view things, it's like Nancy Kerrigan, when Tanya Harding hit her kneecap with a metal pipe, that she didn't want her to be as equipped or ready to compete. And so she did a she conducted a personal attack on Nancy Kerrigan so that Nancy Kerrigan would be stymied and stifled. And that's what this was, because there's no particular benefit to the opposition campaign. Um, It's personal. And you want to put me in a place where you can neutralize me and make me less effective. So that's how I see that particular instance. It's beyond dirty. It's personal. And it's, uh, you know, just a desire to be harmful to me and my family. And so it was very grave and a very difficult, a very devastating thing to experience. Well, as you say, it's, it, it, it's a demonstration of no integrity. And I think that uh, is, it is beyond dirty politics. I agree. So, so let me ask, a lot of military folks in the last uh, couple of federal election rounds have a lot of veterans have stepped up and said sort of uh, same thing you did. Hey, we did, the military deserves better. We need people who've been on the line and been at risk uh, making some of these national decisions. Uh, as you look back mm-hmm. through this process, would you recommend it to other veterans? Would you, would you contemplate it again? I would absolutely run again. I foresee a future where I have the opportunity to impact change. Um, You can't spend 18 months getting to know people, hearing their stories. These people have implicit trust in you, and they tell you about problems they're having, and they trust you to solve them. 
Uh, and so being in that space and connecting with people is uh, as sacred might be too strong of a word, but it's something very powerful because you get to connect with people in an, in an amazing way and you shake hands and you look people in the eye and you know that they believe you and you know that you want to work hard for them on their behalf. And so it's, it's something that, that encourages me. And, and it also has opened my eyes to things that I want to be a part of and things I want to fix. And uh, one of the things that I'm, you know, I'm passionate about is uh, making sure that sexual assaults in the military are handled better. Uh, I want to make sure that people who are survivors have the opportunity to get the help that they need. And so I was, um, you know, very quiet about my assault. It was definitely a personal thing, uh, something that, again, I did not invite the public to know. It wasn't a part of my campaign. But now that it's out there, people have connected with me and said, hey, this is my experience. This is my story. Can you help me? And so providing them with resources or making sure that there are funds available to do things, um, you know, and those are the things that I want to be passionate about and helping people with. And so the opportunity to be in places where I can do that is something that I want to strive to continue to do. And in my future, I see the responsibility continuing to be there. And I look forward to running again uh, and figuring out a way to serve, you know, not only our country, but Hoosiers as well. And to any veteran who's considering it, you know, I talked a lot today about the internal piece of our team and that trust group of people that, that we were required to build and develop because if those 10 didn't get it, you know, nobody else would. But there are also the skills that externally, you know, to our tight team of 10 um, that are very helpful as a result of the military. When you think about uh, managing yourself and the discipline required to be multitasking, to make sure that you meet the metrics of, you know, how do you raise 2.7 million in six months? Uh, it takes a lot yeah. of phone calls. It takes yeah. a lot of discipline. How do you shake XYZ numbers of hands? How do you knock XYZ number of doors? How do you manage four or five different events, but you're shuffling between the skills that are necessary? Because you could go from a radio interview to a TV interview, which takes different skills, to answering questions at a meet and greet, to walking a line in a parade. And that could all be in the same day, but it, they all take different skill sets. And you have to be at peak form in order to, to perform in all of those. And so the nature of the deployed environment, where you, again, are hyper-focused or you are definitely uh, just on your game mentally because you recognize the gravity of your task at hand, that is the likeness that I can compare this to. It felt like 18 months of a deployment where you're sure, on yeah, all day, every yeah. day. And and something different is going to be I thrown was, at you every day. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. We wanna, so being prepared for that or studying and training, are, those are things that we all possess as veterans. And so if you're considering running, do it. You have the skill sets and you can learn everything else. Well, we really appreciate the extra time you've given us today. Jennifer Ruth Green, uh, graduate from the Air Force Academy, uh, who is uh, currently serving with the Indiana National Guard, ran for Congress and learned a lot and shared a lot with us. And we really appreciate that, uh, Jen, for your time with Thank the you. veteran radio listeners today. Thank you. It's an honor. God bless you. Thank you. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fawson. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook 
and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, nvbdc.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net, click on the sponsor level, and continue to support keeping Veterans Radio on the air. And until next time... You are dismissed.